Well, good morning again. We're continuing this series called New, talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Not talking about new conspiracies or new controversies, talking about new realities that we believe are closer today than they were when we started this series last Sunday morning. I had a conversation with Marisa. I I think I mentioned, some of you have heard me talk about this, that we went to Canton uh, for a date day. We both took the day off and went to Canton. Um, A a day I'll never get back. (laughs) We went to Canton. And it was good to be together. I can say that. Um, I'm really glad we didn't have a lot of money with us. Um, As we were driving... We were talking about this series that's coming up. Because unfortunately for her, when you're married to a pastor, this is the kind of stuff that you tend to talk about. <laughs> you're talking about what you're working on. And so I was talking about this series. And I asked her, I said, let me ask you an honest question. I won't use it as an opening illustration. I'm glad a few of you got the irony of this very moment. I did ask her permission before I actually did share this. Um, although she's working in kids church and maybe I could get away with it till she watches the sermon later. And anyways, uh, I said, okay, honest question. Uh, I won't use this as a sermon illustration. How often do you think about heaven? I would ask you to think about the same question this morning. How often do you think about heaven? And she kind of laughed and she said, well, since I'm a pastor's wife, I know I'm supposed to say very often and deeply and theologically and She said, honestly, not much, not very often. And I said, don't feel bad, same here. I I don't think often about heaven. I will tell you that the older I get, the more often I think about it. Uh, The more funerals of people that I love, the more often I think about it. But not that often, if I'm honest. I don't think about heaven near as often as I think about getting through the next week. I'll put it that way. I don't think about getting to heaven as much as I talk, or I think about rather, getting through the next uh, 24 hours or whatever the case may be. I think a lot more about this life than the next life. We struggling there, bud? (laughs) Hi. Jazz is like, Don't bring attention to me. The the simple truth is that a lot of Americans believe there's such a thing as... (laughs) Wow, yeah. This little squirrel up here is is too close to his last leg to stay focused when I hear that. Uh, There we go. Um... The Barna Research Group has surveyed and polled Americans to find out that the major majority of Americans believe there is a heaven. And surprisingly, a majority of Americans believe there's such a thing as, as hell. There, there's the majority of Americans who believe there is a place that we go for forever. I just think, what do we think about that place? Right. What do we think about? Because I don't think the bigger question this morning is how often do we think about heaven? It's how correctly do we think about heaven? How biblically do we think about heaven? How truthfully do we think about heaven? 
Because what I have found for me, and I hope you'll hear this through the hum, what I have found for me is the more correctly I think about heaven, the more often I think about heaven. The more correctly I think about heaven, the more often I think about heaven. Marisa admitted to me as we were driving, well, I asked her and then she answered. I said, do you think you'll know who I am in heaven? And she said, how possibly could that be heaven if I had to be with you any longer? No, (laughs) that's not at all. But she said the opposite, actually. What she said to me is she said, I don't know. And that's why I don't want to think about it. Does does that resonate with anybody? I said, do you think we'll know our kids in heaven? She said, stop it. <laughs> this is supposed to be a pleasant day. It's like the, the quote last week. I believe it will be eternal bliss. So please don't talk about something so depressing. Because if we won't know each other, the people that we love most and recognize each other and, and and her answer was essentially, and now I'm using my words and not her words, is I think I won't know you, but I'll be so spiritual then I won't care anymore. Does that ring anybody's bell? That sounds miserable, but I'll be spiritual enough that misery will just be joyful. Right. That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? I believe there's something way better offered from the words of Jesus. That that research by Barna that said people believe in an afterlife and people believe in a heaven or people believe in hell. They said people, what we have found in modern culture is we are cutting and pasting. It's still ringing a lot, right? Do we hear that? Is that still ringing? Yes. Am I crazy? Or is it just in my head? Yes. I see a lot of heads bobbing. Yes. Okay. Sorry. We're figuring it out. Um. This this Barna research said people are cutting and pasting their theology of heaven from movies, books, television, influenced by religions that we don't even believe. But it's shaping what we think about the afterlife. And so we believe there's such a thing. And so as I was reading that, here's the thought that came to my mind. Most of us, our theology of heaven is theological gumbo. You know what's in gumbo? A little bit of everything. There's stuff in gumbo that I would never eat on purpose, but somehow it tastes good. If you put enough New Orleans seasoning in your gumbo, it's like, oh, that's almost edible, right? And I think a lot of us have some some pretty poor theology in with maybe some good theology and then maybe just some ideas that we don't even know we picked up from movies and, and television and jokes and country songs. And we've ended up with a theological gumbo regarding heaven. And even those of us who've, who are mature in the faith, we're confronted sometimes with things that we believe about heaven that aren't biblical at all. I, I went to an awesome Bible college for my undergrad. I, I love Trinity Baptist College in Jacksonville, Florida. That's where Ethan Harp's at right now. Shout out to Ethan. Yep. I love Trinity. But we didn't hardly talk at all about the new heaven and the new earth. We talked about the rapture and we talked about the millennial reign, but we didn't talk much about the new heaven and the new earth. I've loved my time at Southwestern Seminary. We've talked very little about the new heaven and the new earth. 
And what, what is written in our hearts, eternity is written in our hearts, desires to fill that void. That's why we're reaching to inappropriate sources and throwing it in our gumbo. And what we're seeking to do over these few weeks together is maybe strain some stuff out of the gumbo and make sure there's some good stuff in there that's supposed to be in there. So I invite you to grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please let that be our gift to you today. Um, but we're going to we're gonna grab our Bibles. We're going to hold them up in the air and say our creed together. If that's where you're at today, then we invite you to join with us in this tradition as we hold them up and say this together. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Revelation chapter 21 again, our text for these three three weeks together. Revelation chapter 21. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat, it's page 977. While you're turning to Revelation 21 or scrolling to Revelation 21, I want to say thank you again to Randy Alcorn. Um, grateful for his uh, research and study of the scriptures that's been so transformational in my life in the last several years. Um, if you hear anything uh, super fruitful or exciting over these three weeks, um, it's probably something I read in one of his books or listened to in one of his sermons. Um, so grateful for him. One of the thoughts uh, that just resonated with me from Alcorn uh, before we jump into the text, he said, he said, the books about heaven and the sermons about heaven that he's experienced in most of his life have a common thread. And that is that the conversation quickly says heaven will be more wonderful than we can imagine. Do you believe that this morning? For the rest of y'all, I'm so sorry. Do you believe that heaven will be more wonderful than you can imagine? Yes. Here's the problem. If we say that we can't imagine heaven, we end up turning our minds off on learning what it will be like. Here's Alcorn's phrase. If we can't envision it, we can't look forward to it. Not really. If you think about how excited you were to go to a certain place on vacation that you were really excited about, then think about how excited you were the second time when you went back. Right? Because then you're thinking, oh, that one restaurant with that one, ooh, we're going to eat there. Right? Oh, that one view from that one spot. I can't get to wait to get there and see that. Because when we've been there, all of a sudden the envisioning has even more anticipation in it. We can't, if we can't envision it, we can't look forward to it. And, and so we kind of end up with this idea of, well, if heaven's beyond our imagination, why bother? Why try? There's two pastors, uh, two stories rather about pastors that Randy Alcorn tells all the time. If you ever hear Randy Alcorn speak, you'll hear these two stories in every talk he gives about heaven because they're really good. The first talk is the one I shared last week about the guy who said, my idea of heaven sounds a lot more like hell. The other story he tells a lot of is of a good friend of his who was sitting in his office and said, hey, I heard you're starting a new book. What is it? And Randy Alcorn said, I'm, I'm writing a really long book. It's about 900 pages about heaven. And his friend said, well, if it's beyond comprehension, it seems like that would be an awfully short book. His friend actually quoted in the moment 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, if no eye has seen, and if no ear has heard, and if never has entered into the heart of man the imagination of what God has prepared for those who love him, then what could you possibly write a long book about? And the reason Randy Alcorn tells that story is because, man, his response was really good. He said, because you stopped in the middle of a thought by quoting verse 9. You need to quote 1 Corinthians 2.10 with 1 Corinthians 2.9 to complete the thought. Because what the thought says is no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But these things God has revealed to us through his spirit. We can't imagine how great it would be, but we can't imagine what it will be. And then we just know it'll be even better than that. That's what it means. It means we do have the capacity to imagine what the new earth will be because we've been to earth before. Right? It'll just be better. And so we can imagine, and God's revealed to us through his spirit, what this will look like. Okay, let's jump into the text. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven... And the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. That's really what we focused on last week. This idea of when our loved ones pass away, they go to first heaven. But there's this future heaven that he's about to talk about that's even better than first heaven. As wonderful as it is, it's paradise and it's beyond what um, our, our hearts could long for. And it's far better, the apostle said, Apostle Paul said, verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, this will be the heart of what we talk about today. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's this new presence of God and our new presence with him. Last week we talked about the new place. This week we're going to talk about the new presence. God willing, next week we're going to talk about the new peace, which we find in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment because it's already been paid for by the blood of the lamb. Hallelujah. We're going to talk about a new presence today. 
First, we're going to talk about God's presence with us, and then we're going to kind of talk about our presence with Him. And so we look back again to verse number 3. Uh, that's the heart of where we'll be today. I heard this loud, loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And again, here's the thing, right? Heaven's going to be beyond what we can imagine. Let's turn our brains off. Time out. You know what a dwelling place is. You have one. Right? God's dwelling place will be here with us. This past week, uh, Sam and Stephanie Flowers closed on a new home and started the process of moving in. We were texting back and forth this week. Deanna Bradley found them home. Your realtor for all of your real estate needs. Uh, 20 bucks. Uh, and we were texting back and forth about the, the joy and sorrow of moving. Right? Where you're like, oh, yay, we got a new house. That means we got to pack all this up. Right? But there's this celebration when it's finally moving day. Right? Some of y'all like watching Fixer Upper shows where you've got demo day. We got to get the busted stuff out of the way. We're going to do all this remodeling. And then it's moving day. And the amazing reality about that great day to which we all look is it's move-in day for God Almighty. He's coming home. He's going to cut the ribbon, whatever. It's the great move-in day. God will relocate the glory of His presence from primarily heaven up there to earth down here. God himself will be with them. Right now we live in a reality where when we pass away or our loved ones pass away, when we're believers in God, we go up and live in God's home. And on that great day, God will come down and live in our new home with us forever. The present heaven is up there. The first heaven, but the future heaven will be down here. God with us in the first heaven. When we die, when we die, God will bring us up to live with him in his place. In the future heaven, God will come down to live with us in our new place. How cool is that? God's moving in. So there's a phrase ever since I was a small child that has just enraptured my heart. Ever since as a little kid in Sunday school hearing from a, a really disappointing passage of scripture, Genesis chapter three, <laughs> the fall of man, the curse. But in the middle of all of that, there's this picture of God that since I was, I was a little kid has been amazing to me. It talks about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How cool is that? Like literally, cool of the day. No, like for real, how beautiful of a picture is that? And we don't know if that's something God did frequently, right? A lot of times we think that's because God did that every day at 7.15 or whatever. You know, the text actually doesn't say that God did that every day, but it implies that that was not an odd thing for him to do. And so I don't know for sure that that's what God used to do every day, but I believe he will. 
there's coming a day where it would be normal for God to walk with his people in the cool of the day. How great is that? Right now we sing about and pray about and talk about God's presence with us. And the fact is, if we're honest, there are a lot of days where it's hard to believe that he's close. Right? Because we see our struggles and our fears and our doubts more clearly than we see his face. But there is coming a day where our faith in his presence will become sight. We will see him as he is. The dwelling place of God with man. The rest of our time together this morning, though, I want to talk about our presence with him. Because this is where I think there's more misunderstanding. The rest of the text here in verse 3, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. Not his ghosts or his spirits or his angels or his worship robots. Praise to the Lamb on the throne eternally. will be his people. This is really important because we use terminology that is shaping our view of heaven that isn't good for us. That stuff needs to come out of the gumbo. Because the fact is I cannot count how many times I've heard people say after the loss of a loved one or I've seen them post on Facebook and I love you because I'm talking to some of you in this room today. Apparently heaven needed another angel. Mama's going on. And I love you. I'm not trying to shame you or beat you up. That's why I didn't correct you when you said it in the moment. But here we are having a real conversation together saying, here's the deal. God does not need angels. He's doing just fine. And if he did, we probably wouldn't qualify. When mama passed away, heaven got another people who went to first heaven and is gloriously, joyfully awaiting the new heaven and the new earth to be made manifest. I'm not being offensive here, but heaven didn't get another angel. Our loved one is in the presence of God. That's better. There's still them. They didn't sprout wings. Now, I, I actually do. If you, if you study Randy Alcorn's teachings, he thinks there's a possibility we might be able to fly in future heaven. We're not going to chase that rabbit today. I'm just going to say that and see if you Google it. <laughs> but we won't need wings to do so. If our glorified bodies have the ability to do stuff, we're not going to need wings to do that. The idea of wings and halos actually never appeared in the human understanding until medieval art. And think about how weird some medieval art is. This was artistic expression and it has become theological gumbo. The idea of halos was created in medieval art for them to figure out 
which person in this picture was the dead person who's now watching out? Oh, let's make him glorified. I don't know what that's supposed to look like. I know. We'll put an LED circle light above their head that will make them look luminous. And now we're like, Grandma got her halo. There's no such thing as halos. For the love of mercy, the people of God, we must stop this. We've allowed. Think about this. So I'm going to mention actually Tom and Jerry twice this morning. This is the first. When Tom dies, oh, he turns into this invisible see-through Tom, right? And halo, wings. And some of us have let Tom and Jerry inform our theology. This is a problem. But if we're honest, that goofy picture matches more what we kind of think might happen when we die. I love what Randy Alcorn says. He says, trying to look with hope and joy towards this floating disembodied spirit existence, he said, is like trying to develop an appetite for gravel. It's gravel, but I guess I'm supposed to like it. I'm a good Christian. Keep crunching. We feel guilty that we can't enjoy the gravel. And it seems like other people enjoy their gravel. I remember as a kid, I've I've said this before, I remember as a kid, every time a song started about heaven, the hankies came out. People started crying. And I'm sitting over there, chewing on gravel, going, I don't get it. Why are they crying? This idea of gravel, Alcorn said, what God made us to desire, and therefore what we do desire, if we admit it, is exactly what he promises to those who follow Jesus Christ. A resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. Not a floating winged spirit thing. Our desires align with God's plan because he's the one who wrote eternity on our hearts. It's not that we want something and so we're trying to make the scriptures say something. It's the opposite. We want it because as image bearers, God has placed in us his plan and we desire it. We desire to be resurrected people living in a resurrected universe that's been healed and restored. And that idea is not ours. It's God's because it's his plan. The book of Job, the the difficult poetry and narrative of the story of Job, the guy who faced a lot of suffering and then had friends who make us want to redefine the word friend. But there's some beautiful moments of theological clarity in the book of Job. And one of them is in Job chapter 19, verse 25 through 27, where he declares, for I know My Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. You glad this morning that we serve a risen Redeemer. And at the last, on move-in day, He will stand upon the earth. 
That's his presence with us. What's our presence with him? After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in that skin, in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. We'll have eyes (laughs) that will get to behold the wonder of the resurrected Christ, because we will be resurrected with him. And we'll know who he is. We will be us without the bad parts. The beautiful picture of the gospel, some people say it's the greatest chapter in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 talks about this groaning and this longing that exists in all creation as in the pains of childbirth, longing for the reconciliation of all things, the redemption of our bodies, not of our spirit ghost floaty things, our bodies. And the reason that's important is you have the capacity to imagine what it is to have a better body. Because everything in our society tells us what it looks like to have a better body. And every time we try to get out of bed, those of us over 35, we desire a better body. (laughs) Can I get a witness? We were working the carnival stand yesterday and a dad who's my age said, my right knee is killing me. This is the first time in my life my right knee has ever hurt. I'm getting old. And we were just standing still. (laughs) Our bodies will be restored. We know what it is to have a new body in biblical language, right? New does not mean I lost my body. I don't have a body, but I'm going to get a new one somewhere. It's new in the same way that the apostle Paul talks about what happens when we put put our faith in Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter five, we're a new creation in Christ. That does not mean that the day you got saved, your mom was like, what's your name again? You must be new. Right? I'm sorry. That sounded sarcastic. I'm really trying to make a point. That wasn't meant to... Truly, if when we got saved, we had to reintroduce ourselves, like it's 51st dates, right? Remember Drew Barrymore? Anybody? Yeah? That's not what it, thank the Lord, that doesn't sound very glorious, right? It's possible to be a new creation and everybody knows who you are. In the same way, we will get new bodies, which doesn't mean we get a new passport and new fingerprints and a new zip code and new ID. No, we get restored in our bodies. We will finally reach all of the potential that God designed us with. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, I'm sorry. The reason that I believe a lot of people who claim to be Bible-believing Christians lose their mind when politics don't go their way is because we don't know enough about how good heaven is. And so we're more concerned about our tangible citizenship than our eternal citizenship. And if we're aware of how glorious our heavenly citizenship is, we would have a little more self-control with our temporary citizenship. 
But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await moving day. We await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, on moving day, transform our lowly body. Some of us are feeling more lowly than others today. Our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And here's how He's going to do that. This is so good. God is going to transform everything that's broken in our body with the same power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The very power through which Christ rules the galaxies, He will redirect to transform our broken bodies to be transformed. How cool is that? Transformed to what? To be like His glorious body. Well, I can't imagine that. So I guess I should stop imagining heaven. Yes, we can. We have stories about His glorious body on planet Earth. Luke chapter 24. What was His body like? This group of His closest followers after His crucifixion are gathered in a room and they're grieving and they're confused because they've heard His body's been stolen and now shock and sorrow has led to anger. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw the Tom and Jerry thing. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt in your hearts? Look at this word. See my hands and my feet that it's me. It's I myself. Don't just see. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while, I love this, this wording, while they still disbelieved for joy. You heard the phrase, too good to be true? That's what they're whispering to, her, to themselves. This can't be. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. And it's really important what it does not say. Because it does not say, and the fish fell through to the ground. Because now's the Tom and Jerry picture, right? Because when Spirit Tom drinks the milk, it falls on the ground, right? Right? That doesn't happen with the fish here in the story. So all the authoritative power of Jesus will be directed towards the transformation of our bodies on that great day to be like his glorious body. Here's what we know about the glorious body of Jesus. It is physical. It's physical. We can touch it and recognize it. It's not a floaty thing. It's not an angel devoid of personality and it's not a worship robot. Is a physical person that apparently looks a lot like, wait for it, a person. Because never in the text did they go, what is that strange looking thing? 
I think it's the resurrected, glorified thing of Jesus. Right? Which leads to the second thing. The glorified body of Jesus is actual physical and it's recognizable. Come on. Come on. Somebody take joy in the fact that nobody said, who's that? That's huge. I don't just think that you will know one another in heaven. I think you'll know people you've only heard about. Jesus tells Jesus tells us that we're going to break bread with people that I've never met. How am I going to know? We'll have greater ability to know one another. We serve a communal God who on every page of Scripture is drawing us towards one another. He's not going to separate that in heaven. He's going to restore that on a level it's never been. You're going to tell me I just broke bread with Abraham and I'm going to say, how'd you know? And you're going to say, I don't know, but clearly that was Abraham. So if you know Abraham, and according to Jesus, you'll know him, Isaac, and Jacob too. If you know them, you're going to know your kids. Come on. If the martyrs look down with understanding about who we are today, then that means even in first heaven, even in temporary heaven, there's recognition. This idea that we're going to be some disembodied people who don't know each other floating around and just strumming a harp is not from the scriptures. It is not from Jesus. And it's not really worth looking forward to. But when we strain out the gumbo of our eternal theology and realize there's recognition. By the way, if there's any concept that we will give account for the works done in the flesh, how can I give an account of what I don't remember? Now, relationally, is life going to look the same? No, I, I, I do think it's going to be different. This glorified body was physical. It was recognizable. And it liked to eat. That's the third theological point that I want to make about a glorified body. He chose to eat. And I love that Jesus did not say, I'm hungry. He said, do you have anything to eat? Because I don't believe it was for his benefit. I believe it was for ours. It was for theirs on that day. And it's for ours today, our benefit and our good. He ate. Eight different times in the Gospels, Jesus talks about eating and drinking in future heaven. Throughout the prophetic whispers of the prophet Isaiah to eternal heaven, he talks about eating and drinking. And then chock full of imagery in the book of Revelation is eating and drinking. Here's the common thing about all of that eating and all of that drinking. It sounds amazing. So I want you to do a dangerous thing for a pastor to ask people to do nearing lunchtime. I want you to think about your favorite, I mean your favorite thing to eat. I want you to think on it. We have a tradition in our house. We let the birthday person pick the meal, right? You probably have that tradition in your house, I would guess. Tomorrow is our youngest son's birthday. He's the only one in our family who was born in Texas. So it should be no shock that his choice was tacos. 
There you go. But I go back to the story we started this series with about Trish Sharp and being gathered around her bed that day. I asked Hannah this week, so what was Trish's favorite meal? And she replied with more things than we have time to talk about this morning. Right? My favorite thing Tana mentioned was peach cobbler. Some warm peach cobbler with some vanilla ice cream. Come on. That thing you're feeling right now is not just that we all have a food problem. It's also holy. Because with everything in my soul, I believe you will eat peach cobbler with your mom again. With everything in my soul. Like I've, I've put my eternal hope in that reality. Maurice's grandmother, who we just laid to rest a few weeks ago, her jalapeno corn. Oh, it's one of the reasons I chose to marry into the family. That's, that is a true story. She invited me to grandmama's for a family reunion. We, we had just started dating and I ate that and was like, I do. I believe we will eat that together again. My brother Mark was a... Some of y'all think I'm a food snob. You don't even know. He was such a bougie foodie. But you know what he loved? The Bloomin' Onion at Outback Steakhouse. Did somebody just... ugh? In just a few moments, there will be an opportunity for you to repent and give your life to Jesus. <laughs> so here's the deal it's always the dilemma at Outback is do you get the cheese fries or the blooming onion right in heaven you'll have both I think I'm going to eat a blooming onion with my brother one day and the grease won't make me sick let me share a different example and this one I still don't know what I believe Many of you know, I, my father was a pretty tortured soul. He passed away a little over a year ago. Um, pretty haunted man to this day. I don't know what it is that caused him so much unrest in his spirit. But you could see his struggle in his favorite meal. Because it was disgusting. Pig stomach. Exactly. Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about the internal dilemma that was going on with my dad. My mom hated it when he was craving that because he didn't cook. So she's like, I guess I every now and then I have to say yes to this, you know. Maybe in heaven it won't smell so bad. And will be edible. I don't know for sure about that part, but I do believe I will break bread with my dad and he'll be the best version of himself. <laughs> Whatever that conflict is, I believe it's already been healed. Whatever that torment was, I believe it's been replaced by peace. And he's waiting for his new body so that we can re-engage in a brand new relationship. And I won't be confused about who he is. I won't ask for an introduction. And I say that. Because in the words of the Apostle Paul, I do not want you to be uninformed about those who have passed away. So that you won't grieve 
as others who have no hope. See, there's a, there's a connection between being informed and hope in our grief. When we have no idea what's coming, there's not a lot of hope in that. But when we understand what the scriptures teach, when we confront what the cartoons have influenced our theology with or what the movies or, or the books that we've read or maybe truly the, the teachings of Buddhism and Hinduism about this totally vague, undefinable future that you won't know until you experience it has infected many Christians' view of heaven and earth. And there's just not a lot of hope in that. But we're told that we will have resurrected bodies. And when we read that, we don't go, well, I have no idea what a body is. Right? Because you've had one for a long time. Some of you longer than others. Right? We've had a body. We know what that is. And real quickly, I'm almost done. I see what time it is, and I know that the Cowboys play at noon. Yeah. So we mentioned the book of Genesis. I want to go to Genesis chapter 1. There's a rhythm in kind of the poetry of Genesis chapter 1. God said... And there was, and God saw. Right? That's the repeated rhythm. God said, and there was, and God saw. And what did he see? That it was good. That it was good. That it was good. That it was good. And then the Lord God formed the human body from the dust of the flesh. Or from the dust of the ground, rather. And breathed into his body the breath of life, and man became a living soul, a living being. And then we have the summary of all of that. God saw that it was very good. And here's what I believe, and it will be again. Our bodies will be restored to their original goodness. And here's, this isn't just where I'm ending this morning. This is the, the, the pinnacle of where I've been heading. And so I pray that what's heavy on my heart will be clear out of my mouth today. Do you know why your body, your relational interaction, your presence matters to God? Because people matter. Like, it doesn't fit with my theology that God's like, I'm done with them. Let's do a different thing. Nowhere in Scripture do we read that. No, it's very good, and he's going to restore the very good. Because he loves people. He slaughtered his own son for you. Not some disembodied floating thing. For you. And I believe God has a plan to restore you to the best version of you. So I feel like in the last two weeks I've cracked a lot on country music. And I don't apologize for that at all. But um, there's a theme in a lot of country music where the lyric says something along the lines of, she just makes me a better man. Right? Which is actually a really dangerous lyric. It's the reason a lot of wives have worn their souls to the ground trying to turn her man into something he has no desire to be. There's a name for that. It's called codependency. 
Like, we're celebrating. Anyways, the fact is, she can't make him a better man. Nobody can make somebody a better person. Marisa doesn't make me a better man. She probably wishes she could. But there will come a day where God will. Matter of fact, he'll make me a better version than I could begin to imagine. Where everything wrong will be made right in me. And the reason I believe that is the reason I have confidence that I'll be able to be in his presence without being rejected or cast away. Our relationship will finally be fully restored because I'll become everything he created me to be. And I believe on that day, I will know you. And I believe you'll know your loved ones. And that's why this morning I end with this statement. I want to recognize you there. More than anything in the whole world. I want you to know that you're going to be there on that day. And I don't just want that for you. I want that for your neighbor whose name you haven't met yet. For the hundreds of people who drive by this hill every day and don't know that the message of hope is being proclaimed here. Because we believe the greatest news in all the world is every desire that you have for wholeness is actually given to you by God and he wants to fulfill that in himself. And he's available today.